surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I'm about to go running. So I'm recording this. It's almost 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll take, take my daughter to gymnastics. And then I'm going to go for a run while she's in there doing her thing. What do I have on my feet? OS First Socks all the time. I love these socks so much. They're so warm. Well, tonight they're warm, but they're not always warm. They have, they have the thin ones as well that work out really well. And like so many like high quality socks, you get different sizes. I hate those socks where it's like, hey, this sock is, can work for size shoe 6 to 12. And you're like, all right, well, that doesn't make any sense. So these have you know, the small, you have the medium, you got the large. They got all different sizes. They fit perfectly. They got that compression element. They also have some for that specialize to ease your bunions. They have other ones that specialize in easing any plantar fascia problems that you have. This stuff is just the real deal. So you can go to osfirst.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save a little dough, or you can go to any of your local retailers. And that's the big thing for them. They love supporting independent running shops and that's another great way of doing it. So whether you go online to their website, osfirst.com, and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save a little cheese, or you can go to your local running store and support them as well. It really doesn't matter to me, but you definitely want to go check out OS First. So today in the show, we got Sabrina Little. Man, Sabrina Little, I've wanted her to be on this show for so long. I just never asked because, frankly... And I'm not afraid to say it. I was nervous. I was nervous to talk to Sabrina Little because I have looked up to her in so many ways. She's a five-time national champion who has really almost like intuitively, and she's gotten plenty of help along the way. I don't want to act like she hasn't, but really kind of navigated her running career in a way that you almost never see a runner of her stature do it. Right. So she kind of, you know, she she came into running and she wasn't like super diehard about it. She like didn't even like, you know, really pursue a college scholarship and then goes to William and Mary, you know, kind of deals, you know, works with the team for like a year. Didn't really fit what she wanted to do. So she, she left the team. So she just started running with uh, just guys around campus, Team Blitz. And, you know, they just kind of did their own thing. And she just signs up for an ultra and like <laughs> pretty much wins it. And like her it this she just kind of fell into running. She's been this natural, gifted athlete ever since she was little. So she's an extremely athletic person and has just gone through running in a way that's just super unique for someone at her level. With all that said, that was not the intent of today's conversation. That's just a little background because I didn't want to do like the whole tell me about your life thing. A lot of people know her already. She's been on a lot of other podcasts where you can definitely dive into that and I suggest that you do so. She's fantastic. Uh, She did a lot of that on the For the Long Run podcast and she's done on other podcasts as well. This one's much more kind of topical conversations and we really dive into kind of what she does for a a daytime job. So she's a professor of... There we go. She is a professor of philosophy at Moorhead State, and she talk and she deals with several concentrations within that broad spectrum, and a lot of that can be traced back to athletics. And we really dive into a lot of that sort of thing. And I just love this conversation. I could have gone on and on and on this conversation. As you'll hear, I do go on and on several points in this conversation, similar to what I'm doing right now in this intro, because 
I just had, I just wanted her opinion on all things. On all things, I just want a Sabrina Little IV into my veins is really what I'm looking for. So without further ado, let's get into it with Sabrina Little. Sabrina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm a huge fan of yours, and this is just an honor to have you here because you are, um, I guess, all, you know, like sometimes I say you're like sometimes I'll tell people like they're all things running, but you're like all things, all things. Because <laughs> it's so you got so much stuff going on in your life, and it really is remarkable. It is so much fun to witness from afar. Um, and I like I was thinking about this before. Like I don't know exactly where to start off. Usually I have like a pretty clear jumping off point with somebody, but I'm like I want to talk to Sabrina about like. Every aspect of her life, it's not going to be like that, I, I promise. It's not going to be like, it's not going to be a 10 hour podcast or anything like that, but it really is remarkable. So I guess let me just ask you what's, what's been going on for you this week? Cause it feels like every week you have some, like you're just doing so much, so much amazing work. Well, thank you so much, first of all. Uh, so this week, I guess, is the first full week of the semester. Um, we started halfway through last week. So, I'm a philosophy professor at Moorhead State, and this week is the first full week. So um, every day I've got something going on, um, and I'm really excited about it. I have great classes and a lot of students who I've had in the past. So it's just great to have everybody um, back on campus and uh, having like the school come alive again. Now, I heard that you taught five classes last semester. How many are you teaching this semester? Yeah. So last semester was mayhem, but you know, it's my first job, so I don't really have anything to compare it to. So, um, <laughs> but this semester I'm only doing three, uh, which is pretty great. It's, it's a good balance of uh, research and teaching. So I'm teaching actually three ethics classes in a row and it's two beginning ethics courses and then one senior seminar. Okay. And I know that you mentioned your philosophy professor. What areas are you concentrating in? Yeah. So I teach a little bit of everything, honestly, like uh, logic, um, epistemology, which is uh, the study of knowledge. Um, I do metaphysics and philosophy of religion. But my area of research, my focus is just in questions of character development. So virtues, vices. I love vices. Um, and questions of like flourishing or happiness, things like that. I love these concentrations because it seems like there can be no end. I mean, this certainly this is the case for so many of, of topics and, and concentrations within philosophy because this is kind of the point. But there seems to be really no end to the, the myriad of ways that you can talk about these things or learn about these things or in your case uh, also, um, you know, write about these things and, and publish so many different um not only, you know, new work, but just different ways that you can, you know, interact these concentrations and, you know, these subsets within the other things that are going on in, in your life. And I know with your writing for I Run Far and, and other things that I've heard you on other podcasts, it seems like you were able to integrate the academic portion of your life. So you've been now been able to kind of take that and then also, you know, integrate it into some of your athletic journey and not just from a say, running perspective, but also like your observations of athletics. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one thing I love about the discipline. I mean, it tracks great questions, but you can ask questions in a number of different avenues. So it, I will never tire uh, or run out of things uh, to ask or explore just because, I mean, I could do philosophy of sports or um, I can ask questions about like what the human person is. And there is so much literature there. Or, I mean, I have a side project on just philosophy of humor like, how do you educate someone uh, to be funnier? <laughs> and so, I don't know, there are just so many things that I could ask. And I think uh, initially I resisted asking questions of athletics just because, I mean, there were a few reasons. I kind of wanted my two uh, life disciplines to stand on their own. Like, I didn't want to be a pretty good runner for a philosopher or a pretty good philosopher for a runner. But I also kind of thought that I would tire of, just thinking about running and then writing about running and then running all the time. Um, and that I, it has happened a little bit. Like sometimes I just am a little bit tired of thinking about running. And so I just don't think about it those days, but yeah, it's been fun to integrate um, philosophy into athletics and vice versa. Cause I think a lot of what I've learned just through reading the history of philosophy and the specific topics that I like in virtue ethics and character, um, it's given me a vocabulary to understand, I guess, what I'm doing in my sneakers on a regular basis and also helps me to name like frailties that I have as an athlete um, and working a little bit on my my mental, my character game, which are so much a part of who we are as athletes and, I mean, as people beyond that. Yeah, that's meant so many things. I go like, I'm like, I just thought like 10 follow up questions, like in the middle of that. I'm like, Oh, this is so interesting. <laughs> this is so interesting. Um, you know, in just in terms of, you know, connecting some of the, the frailties and just the human development piece. And you know, you talked before about vices. Now you did your, your dissertation on adoration. It, there, there's so many different points here, but how much of what you do from a um, research perspective do you either use your own um, your own experiences, either as a runner or just as a human being, as like a jumping off point, or just as like your own little mini lab rat that you can kind of like test drive some of these theories or thoughts on? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I guess, huh? So I've always been a runner, and I think I—I I mean, I was a runner well before I became a philosopher and started asking questions. Um, in philosophy of sport and in character development. But once I found like Aristotle and once I found like virtue ethics, it just gave me a, a vocabulary for kind of understanding um, certain weaknesses that I had as an athlete, um, just like being able to name um, what I was doing wrong. Um, and an example of this is like, uh, there's a vice um, in the classical tradition called Akedia. Um, also called acedia, if uh, you like the Latinized uh, pronunciation of it, but um, it means um, kind of like sloth. And our cultural imagination around Akedia is like, typically we only think of it in terms of like the laziness vice. Um, and we think about like, I don't know, Eeyore or just like the sloth, like resisting work altogether. But there's actually another um, manifestation of this vice, which is a kind of busyness or like a frenetic 
um, pace of life where you're just doing too many things um, and are just kind of like still resisting being present or doing the needed work kind of, but just in the opposite direction. And it's a kind of like busyness that seems a little bit celebrated by society. Like the more things you have on your plate, uh, the better you are and you're an industrious person or whatever. But once I learned that term, it helped me kind of to see like ways in which I was failing to do the right kinds of work or, or um, to stay on a task or to be fully present. And just having a vocabulary to name that thing that I wasn't doing very well, like really helped me in my running um, and also just helped me to, I guess, live a well more well-ordered life, right? Like instead of just stacking everything on my plate or flitting from one thing to the next, like telling myself, no, you have to, you have to stay. <laughs> like you have to stay in the same way that like when you're in a tempo and you really want to do anything else uh, except like remain here in the moment right now. Like it's a discipline that you have to practice. And, um, and yeah, so it, it's helped me kind of like, in my running um, to have that vocabulary of, well, what's really happening right now uh, when I want to just like leave this moment, but also in my daily life when I'm like sitting in a conversation that I don't want to have or um, like reading something that's hard and there are any number of like emails I could, I could answer and just split off, like having that word um, has helped me. So and I can see how you and I would be on completely different ends of the Acadia scale. I would definitely be on the sloth side of things. And you would be on the other side of things. This reminds me of like whenever you hear, and you're in your writer in, in, in many different formats, but you know, you can tell how um how close a writer is to deadline by how clean their apartment is. With the yes. idea of like if yeah. their if their apartment is like super duper clean, you know that the deadline is close because they've just like been doing that instead of sitting down and doing the writing. Yeah, for sure. That is super relatable. My uh, house is really clean right now. <laughs> I'll just say, yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. You know, and it's funny. It also reminds me of the idea of like, all right, so say like a med, once a med student is like kind of like in the beginning stages of their, their medical training, and you can relate this. I mean, you were pre-med at William & Mary for, you know, for a while before you dove into philosophy was this idea of like early on their studies, like they think they have like every single disease they're studying or like, you know, people who are not in that field can relate to like the idea of going on WebMD and like thinking that like, they have all of these different things. Um, oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so when you experience this in terms of like, you're taking these deep dives into these questions that on some level are, you know, I'm not unanswerable, but there's, they're so multi-layered and can be so personal, uh, for each, I mean, so individualistic in terms of how, how they relate to certain people. Um, but then at the other end of things, like you're also experiencing life in different ways. Are you able to compartmentalize your own thinking without being too meta about your thinking in those circumstances? Um, uh, yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, and I think so. Come compartmentalizing would be more or less helpful depending on the area of research that you're in, right? So if I were a metaphysics person and I were asking about body and mind, like the body-mind relation, and I was thinking about while, <laughs> while I was running or something, that might be super trippy just to be like, oh my gosh, like, am I a composite? I don't know. But uh, so the, I mean, the kind of work that I do though, 
I'm not sure I want to compartmentalize because uh, so I'm, I mean, working in character development and asking these questions of, well, what is the good action or what does justice require of us? Like those kinds of questions I really want to take seriously in my own life. Um, it's actually interesting. There's a, and I think he's a philosopher. Maybe he's a cognitive scientist. I forget, but there's a, a thinker. His name is Eric Schwitzgable. And recently he uh, studied the moral lives of moral philosophers. So people like me who spend their whole lives um, asking questions of, well, what is goodness? What is beauty? Um, what is the good action in these scenarios? Um, what does justice require of me? All these things, right? They spend their whole lives asking these questions. And he studied the moral lives, uh, their moral lives. So like how often they um, answered their students' emails, like whether or not they called their moms, like whether they returned their ethics books in a timely fashion. And he found no difference between the way that they lived their lives and the rest of the population, which to me is like, oh my goodness, like we have all of this moral information at our disposal. Like ostensibly we are like very good moral reasoners. I mean, it's, we're building careers around asking these questions and yet we're not uh, inculcating it into our lives um, in any real way. That strikes me as a problem. So I take that knowledge is power. Take that. Well, seriously, that's like the enlightenment promise. Like they said, once we had all of this like knowledge about what human nature is and um, like what, yeah, like what we should do in certain situations, how we should reason about things like then we would be able to live these lives that were, um, yeah, just like more virtuous or like the better character or something. But actually, it's the case that it's not moral information that makes a difference. It's moral formation. So taking the knowledge that I have and like building the right sort of source of habits um, around them. And so that's what I want to do. Like I if I ever stop caring when I'm asking these questions, that would be, I think, a serious moral failure. Uh, yeah, so I don't want to compartmentalize, at least in this respect. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery. Literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence. Uh, but it's it's legit, and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. 
To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to every plate plate.com entering code rambling runner 179 today that's up to a hundred and four dollar value no that makes a lot of sense and thank you for um laying the groundwork for that of saying all right like this this is this is precisely what i'm doing and why it's something that would be that i want it to be ever present uh in my life and and it's so you know when, when the way you the way you bring it up is so interesting because i have this idea of like you know um, my own like understanding of different ways that I should live my life, whether it's athletic or, or in other areas and like how I actually live my life. Right. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not raining about it. I'm not like going on, I guess on some levels, like I have my mastering 40 thing where I do talk about the athletic side, but um, you know, with the idea of like, I, I should know better. I think, you know, parenting is a great example of this, of like me losing my temper, you know, and things like that. And, being like, if I were to advise someone on like how they could address certain situations, I certainly wouldn't, you know, look at my own, um, <laughs> my own execution and be like, okay, look at this and now work backwards. It'd be like, no, ignore what I did. And then let's talk about what should actually happen. Um, and when, when you think about, you know, you, you did your, and then Craig, correct me if I'm wrong. So you had your dissertation was on, um, was it adoration? Am I right getting that word wrong? Um, admiration. Admiration. That's it. Yeah. So on, on admiration and you're someone who like, who I admire in so many ways. And so when I heard you talking about that, I was like, oh, this is great. Cause I can't wait to talk to you about this. Like when you think about some of the people that you admired in your life and thought to then mimic them or use them either as like a true mentor, cause you had communications with them or a mentor from afar, right? Like a Plato, for example, right? Like he's not going to have a conversation with you about his theories or, um, you know, how his, his, his way of thinking, but taking admiration to then, you know, then 
doing the next few steps of trying to have that person um, or the, the positive virtues of that person that um, you want to be part of your life? How do you, how are you able to bridge that gap and do so in a way that kind of eliminates, you know, the, the hero worship that can be um, inculcated in that process? Yeah. So that's a really good question. And I have so many thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess, uh, so the first thing is just, so oftentimes we admire someone and we do it in a sort of way that's like kind of inert. So if, I mean, as of the, the day of this recording, like two days ago, Jim Walmsley ran an incredible race um, and it just like captured our hearts and imagination as he's like crossing the line as fast as he possibly can, narrowly missing the world record, still crushing the American record. So inspirational. Um, and there's a temptation, I think, to just... Uh, you know, like have those positive feelings and have it kind of like fill you up in a way, uh, but then just leaving it there and not not returning to that or not asking questions of what's excellent about um, what Jim did or what it is that's admirable and maybe the qualities that are imitable. Like there are some things that, you know, I'll never be a Jim Walmsley in the respect of like having that beautiful stride, right? Maybe that's not a quality that I can imitate, but I can imitate that, like his patience and training. Um, I can imitate like whatever his prudent management of um, his nutrition throughout the event and um, his perseverance and courage. And all of these things are things that maybe I'm lacking in certain ways and I can take those as lessons and build them into my life. So the first thing is kind of like a recognition of what was excellent um, in the thing that, you know, I, I admired. Right. And I, I don't want to just leave it there though. Like, so there's the recognition, then there's like surveying yourself and seeing perhaps if you have like deficits in any given respect. Right. And then like coming up with some sort of plan to like practice those things. So, um, when I have hard workouts, I always tell myself like, okay, you're practicing courage and courage here doesn't look like, you know, um, like running into a burning building. It doesn't look like, um, you know, the same as it would if I were public speaking or something like courage here would require that I push the pace a little bit, um, more than I'm certain I can sustain. And, um, just like having, so building opportunities for practice in that respect. So you have the knowledge, right? You have the information and, and then what you need is the formational side and, um, yeah, checking in with that. Um, also as far as like connecting, uh, uh, I guess admiration of excellent people to your daily life, like one thing that I've, um, uh, a mentor told me pretty early on was like, don't just surround yourself by um, people you want to learn from, like in my academic work, like surround yourself by people you want to be like. Um, and so I've done that. Like my advisor uh, in in my PhD program was not someone who I actually had a ton of kind of conceptual overlap with. Like we have um, pretty different interests, like pretty much <laughs> overall, but uh, he was someone who I admire, like someone I wanted to be like. And um, so just like building connections with people who 
have the qualities that you see as valuable and you want to take on yourself um, is something that's been, uh, I guess, part of the way that I've tried to bridge the gap between the excellent person and me, like the little peon. So I think of these people as like- Oh my gosh, the <laughs> little peon, Sabrina. Come on, get out of here, Sabrina Little. Five-time national champion, Sabrina Little, the little peon. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, <laughs> those are like, those are what? Uh, so uh, I'm trying to remember, David Brooks has this, has a book on character where he talks about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues, right? So I have like things on my resume, fine, but like, what are the qualities, like the internal qualities that I have? Like, how can I, yeah, become better in, in richer ways, like in fuller ways that actually matter? Well, I, the, the, one of the things that strikes me is just the duality in so many areas of your life that a lot of people wouldn't experience or, or maybe even shy away from, right? I mean, you've, you've, you've spoken on this podcast that, you know, we know that you're a professor and you're also a professional runner. And in so many areas, like people in that profession, um, in academia will shy away from the athletic side, even people who are athletic. I remember talking about, this with Kiese Lehman, um, when he was a professor of mine, we spoke again last year on this podcast about this very topic, this idea of like, there's so many people in academia who will look down on other people with this idea of like, you can't be, you know, really, you, know, you, can't, you can't put all this energy in athletics and also kind of cultivate and steward the academic and you know, mind piece. And, you know, as, as, an, as fellow athletes, certainly at very different levels, but people who enjoy athletics, I know that that seems like an odd an odd thing to say, and certainly maybe even um, a fallacy of some sort. But like, it's, there, there is this duality there. And you mentioned in the other podcast that like you also you know your your spiritual beliefs, and you have you know when you were at William and Mary, and like you left the track team, and then you you know, became you know, you you joined like was it Team Blitz? You had Team Blitz, and you're doing ultras, but you're not training for ultras. You didn't know, and like all of a sudden you're you're winning these races, but you didn't even know that you need to drink water. Like it seems like there's so, so many dualities in your life, and yet you seem to embrace them in this like like a uh, very like humble way. Is that something that you have gone out of your way to just to stay open to, or how do you kind of cultivate that? Because it seems like it's so, something that at least for me personally, and I know for so many people that it's so much easier sometimes to try to fall into a, a box of sorts, as opposed to kind of being welcomed to so many different ex and varied experiences. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> that was really nice. Uh, second of all, I don't really, I don't know why I do a number of different things. I honestly think like running is just my way of being in the world. Um, it's not something that I consciously chose when I was like younger. It's just, it's something that I just really enjoyed doing. Like, and I think, you know, maybe I love academic work and that is, um, what I want to do as, I guess my primary career, right? But I'm still embodied. Um, and I still want to, um, take seriously my embodiment, right? And I want to, um, press myself, um, through, I guess, these formative practices in sport. Um, sports, something that's always been, that I've always had, I guess, a productive relationship with. I mean, when I was, younger um i was a real nerd a real nerd <laughs> but i always had like a set of friends um 
and like had as a source of confidence, like being in, I, I guess, the athletic arena um, and getting to use my gifts in that respect. So I don't know, like, I think a lot of my involvement is sport, in sport is really, I just see it. I mean, I do see it as part of my faith, right? So I have whatever gifts that I have and I want to steward them well. Um, and in the academic arena, I'm just trying to do the same thing. So I don't know. I don't see them as like, I don't like when I have successes in running or when I have successes in academia, it's not like I'm using those things to fill my cup in any way. Like when I write a paper and when I compete in a race, like I'm already full, you know, it's not, it's not like a source of, um, identity. It's just the tools that I have to, um, I guess do the best that I can at the moment. I don't know. That's kind of all over the place, but well, my question, my, my question was all over the place. So it's, <laughs> it's, it was, it was, you know, it was just one of those things where it was like, it was in my head. I'm like, I want to ask about this. I don't know how to formulate the question. I'm just going to word vomit under the microphone. <laughs> hopefully something, hopefully something intelligible can come out. Um, you're an extremely competitive person and you have been, it sounds like your whole life. Um, and yet you're also someone who spends a lot of time thinking about process and trying to make sure that you're focusing your energy on the right things. How do you make sure that your competitive nature doesn't override what you know academically? Uh, and that's not even the right word, but that, you know, consciously like are the proper ways to like approach process and behave just generally speaking, when you have also this fierce competitive nature as well, which, you know, stri- you know has certain striving elements and wants to win races um, and just the, the duality there. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I don't think I've always like ha- had a really good <laughs> answer to this. Uh, like, so the competitive nature, I think that there are bad things about certain kinds of competition, but I don't think competition itself is a bad thing. So I will say like early on um, in just, I don't know, I guess in my marriage, because just through conversations with my husband, I realized like, wow, I don't have a great uh, approach to competition. Like I really did feel, I don't know, like lacking if I wasn't the best in something or if I didn't win a race, it was like, I felt kind of like I, uh, I don't know, had failed in like a substantial respect. Um, and over the last couple of years, I just kind of developed a different mindset toward it. I mean, so compete competition, like competing just means striving together. I think there are certain kinds of ambition that are unhelpful. Um, like I, I was thinking the other day about how um, competition often is um, kind of it, it. It's kind of it kind of uh, becomes like a certain. Uh, it takes on the character of envy, right? So um, Kierkegaard calls it unhappy self-assertion, right? So you're on the starting line, and and um, the only thing that's going to make you satisfied at the end of the race is this self-assertion, right? This unhappy self-assertion. Um, and it's insatiable, right? But, um, but he says the alternative to that is like this, um, happy self-surrender, <laughs> like this, uh, kind of just uh, more, it kind of sounds the way that 
children race, you know, where there's more like just joy in the activity. Um, and so, yeah, so I think it's a problem if I'm doing, if I'm like repeatedly doing these races, um, in a way that is gonna form my character in bad ways, like uh, taking on the character of envy, um, and just using them to assert myself. But if I'm using them just kind of, um, not to undo my competition, but to outdo my competition, um, or try to make that my goal, like, so that it's more in like an iron sharpening iron or mutual edification or, um, just, uh, pleasure or joy in the activity kind of thing, then that's super edifying. Like, I mean, I've had so many races where my competition has brought the best out of me and I never could have done it without them. Um, and I think that's a really powerful tool. I don't think comparison itself or competition itself is a bad thing. Like they're all, they're all like sorts of productive kinds of comparison. Um, and so I don't think competition is a bad thing, but I think that it can be a bad thing. I think I've been there in the past, but I think it's a great tool just to bring out the best in ourselves. 100%. And I, and I can certainly see that. And I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of experiencing that in my own life at times. So what are your thoughts on the qualities which we can consider vices, but also can be performance enhancing, right? Like, and you, and you probably know much better uh, list than I do, but we, you know, we can think of athletes that are, you know, self-centered, who are extremely selfish, who have a, instead of a, um, this edification process that you mentioned, it's much more zero sum with their competitors or even sometimes their teammates if they're in a, in a, in a team sport. And yet they're still able to reach unbelievable heights and maybe even the highest of heights within their, within their sport and within their endeavor. And what's your thought on just how that process kind of manifests itself and, um, yeah, I guess I guess it's just I'll, I'll end it there. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that is a great question um, and something that worries me, right? So a lot of vices are performance enhancing. Like if you think you're standing on the starting line and um, your whole identity is wrapped up in that performance, like, yeah, you're going to perform well. But um, like, okay, so... I think that we take for granted that participation in sports is kind of this unqualified good. Um, like when we talk about um, like putting our kids in sports, we're like, oh, they'll develop discipline and they'll develop like all of these um, like good qualities or persistence and they'll learn hard work and things. But if you are participating in the sport and you're doing it for um, bad motivations um, it could very well be productive within the field of sport. Like if you're doing something for vain glory, um, like so that people will look at you or something, or you're doing it because of like extreme pride, um, that is something that could absolutely enhance your performance because there's a kind of like recklessness in there or, or I don't know, like a really unhealthy drive that can motivate you, right? But it's something that you're going to take into the rest of your life. So I don't know. It's an important question. Um, it's an important question that we need to be asking ourselves, um, particularly if it's not something that is um, our career um, or something that we're going to be doing um, like our whole lives or something. Um, 
because yeah, there are negative repercussions outside of sport, not just in sport of having certain motives. But I think yeah, vainglory is one. Pride, uh, envy, um, even wrath, right? Like all these uh, thumas or spiritedness, um, kind of like consolation of 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 vices are strong motivators. Yeah. And and I don't want to present them as like people make this conscious choice of like, all right, am I going to get on the good train today or the evil train today? (laughs) And I will, and I I will, you know, take with me the vices that come along uh, with that. Um, That wasn't the best metaphor, but we'll go with it. But, (laughs) but there are certainly people who, who um, kind of evolved that way because of certain things early on in their life that maybe set them on a certain path. Right. I remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago when it was like, I think it was like every single like um, world championship male endurance athlete at the time had had like an extremely troubling relationship with their father at a young age, at that young age. Right. So it was like Michael Phelps, Lance Armstrong. And it was like going down the list. It was like six or seven of the top people. Uh, I guess just remember this on the male side because it was this article that I had read and it was like, wow, like I can see like, you know, why some, why that sort of situation, while not something that people would want to replicate in their lives or the lives of their children, where there can be this odd, you know, occurrence after the fact that it would set off, you know, this combination of like inborn qualities and nurturing factors or lack of nurturing factors that would then create this cascade of, um, circumstances that would make these persons so driven combine that with natural gifts to like bring them to the top of this endurance sport, which again, these were, these were all endurance sports. These were mostly, you know, individual athletes uh, as opposed to team sports. And it was just this odd thing where it was like, wow, like this is such a, this can be so layered and so textured as opposed to just, you know, applying like a good or bad lens on this or even uh, some sort of like good or bad judgment on it. Um, Again, we can, you can, I'm not, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to paint generally, like, am I for Lance Armstrong's like, you know, doping? (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I mean, just (laughs) before this gets taken out of context. No, I'm not. But like, it just like, generally speaking, it was, it was a very interesting article and one where it was like, wow, like, I would want to get these accomplishments, but I wouldn't want to walk that path. Right. Yeah. It's definitely, there's a way in which uh, (laughs) athletics can become not part of a flourishing life. Um, And I think you kind of, you have to work hard to make it part of a flourishing life. Cause I think there are a lot of like damaging um, assumptions or um, things that we seem to enjoy or embrace as a part of sport that are not actually good qualities for your lives outside of it. And one of one is like this bravado around suffering. Like, I don't know how we got to a point where we say things like no pain, no gain, or um, like have like this bragging around um, like injury or pushing yourself to the absolute limit. And I, I understand that like, maybe some of that is interesting to watch or it makes good TV or something, but most of us are not, you know, uh, doing this as a job. Like most of us are just people who, for whom like sport is a smaller part of our life and still has this formative role. And I just really worry about those things. Like, I don't know, soaking into the rest of our lives. Yeah, and it's so interesting because you, what you've done as a professional 
and especially the sport that you do it in is one where like, I can see where those associations would make themselves manifest, right? Like there's no way that you've done what you've done without having to suffer in certain ways and having, having to experience, you know, not, not pain, like injury pain, but like more um, generalized pain, um, you know, especially later on in, in an ultra and, and you know, on race day. And it's, it's, I'm of like two minds with this stuff because and I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this too. This is basically me just like, yeah, like hey, I'm, no, no. I'm thinking all these things, but I want to talk to Sabrina Little, who's much more intelligent and more, more well researched than me. I want to get, I want her to set me straight on all this stuff. Um, whereas like pushing past our limits is because we view them as limits, is obviously going to be inherently difficult. And yet it's also extremely rewarding. But if we're gonna if we're really pushing past what we're, we're defining as a limit, like something has to get us there. And I know that you've written about will and you've, you've just talked about the whole no pain, no gain mentality. Like I'm right there with you, but then I also know the joy that comes with pushing past something that I didn't think I could do. And I'm trying to think of like holistic, not holistic, but like positive ways to get myself to, or if I was coaching somebody to get, to get them there um, without shortchanging the idea of like, oh, if you don't want to do it, it's fine. Like, again, I, I feel that way, but I also know that like, if they really want to do it, like don't shortchange yourself because it's going to be worth it in the end. You know what I mean? Like that, that dichotomy. Yeah. So yes. And I think about this all the time too. It's, it's ironic that I write in virtue ethics and Aristotle because he defines like the passions in terms of temperance, like having the right sorts of desire toward things. And I'm like this person who has this hobby <laughs> that is like not temperate in any respect. Like it's possible that I like running more than uh fits into a flourishing life, right? Um so I definitely am at war with myself in this respect. I think one distinction that I want to make is the difference between um like suffering and difficulty versus pain, right? So I think that pain is a warning sign from your body, right? Uh, that something's not right. So I don't, I just don't think that you can be in pain and stewarding your body well. So I really like want to like caution people against that. I mean, I think there's some, some amount of like becoming, being able, like part of training is learning to tell the difference between, um, I'm actually hurt. And this is just a little bit about a little bit of suffering or something. Like I think there, it takes some experience to know the difference, but I do not advocate running through pain in any respect. Um, but I do think that suffering is part of a flourishing life. Um, I think there are some, some suffering that we can't do anything about, like it just happens to us. Like, you know, you lose a loved one or you go through a global pandemic and, or, uh, you're, I don't know, something, something hard happens, you lose your job, who knows, but there are certain, there are certain things that happen to us, um, that, that just happened to us. And then in the act of running, I think we can practice our responses to that kind of suffering, right? So, um, at the end of a hundred mile, when I want to quit, I tell myself to just stay and see it through because it's good practice for when I want to quit things that actually matter. Right. Uh, and I can make that distinction with, with like suffering or discomfort, but I wouldn't say the same thing about 
injury. Like I think that it's not edifying, it's not productive, and it's not good stewardship of your one body that you have uh, to push through pain. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that, and thank you for for saying that. I I definitely think much more of like the learning the varying stages of what uncomfortable is, right, and our ability to push past that, right? Like I, I think of like what I like. I say, shoot, I'll, today's run is an example. Like I did like an out and back run. Like I'm at like the three mile mark. I'm running seven miles. So I'm like about to turn around. I'm like I'm like man, my feet hurt. I was like, good grief. <laughs> like three miles from my car. I really don't want to walk back. You know what I mean? So like, I just keep running and then like, it just kind of goes away. You know, again, this is a very trite example, but um, I was just thinking like, all right, this is like, this is like a good example of like, if I was doing laps around like my neighborhood, which is like a half mile loop, like I probably would have just walked into my house and like, the circumstances presented the situation where like, I didn't really have that as an option because I had to bring my, I like had run a chore and bring my dog to the groomer. Like I had to get home. And like, so I keep pushing like, Oh, I was fine. I was fine. And like, I'm not a new runner. I've been competing in athletics my whole life. Like you would think that I would have built up this like uncomfortability muscle. I would know what, you know, feet hurt, but not painful type situation would be like, here I am just turned 40 like a couple days ago. And like, I'm still, I'm still learning about this stuff as you're progressing as a runner. Do you feel like you're just keep relearning the same lessons or do you feel like you're like at a stage where you're constantly like learning uh, or being presented with um, new situations because of what you've accomplished so far? Uh, I guess there are certain things that I'm still learning. Um, I mean, I'm still learning how to be brave. And <laughs> I've been practicing this for a couple of years. Um, there are, I don't know, I think I've become more aware of like where my particular frailties are. Like, so um, I wrote this past month about um, a metaphor that Aristotle uses um, in in his ethics about our character. And he says, he describes how we are like warped boards and we're warped in different directions. And so uh, you might be a person in your, like, so say you want to develop the virtue of courage. Well, maybe you are um, warped in the recklessness direction. Like maybe you take too many risks. And in that case, you want to like pull the board back the other direction and uh, toward like cowardliness, um, not to develop cowardliness, but just because it's a way of like correcting course and then helping you to get closer to hitting the actual virtue, right? So it's like a mean between extremes, or maybe you, um, are trying to develop, uh, something like, um, like a good sense of humor. Um, but you're inclined to just be a little bit of a bore. Like you don't make jokes. You don't laugh at jokes. Well, maybe you want to incline yourself, like warp the board back in the direction toward, um, like laughing too much or like making too many jokes. Why? Cause it like helps you correct course. And then you, um, like practice getting toward the middle. And I think I've realized like a lot of my virtue vice tendencies are that I incline toward being a bit too fastidious about training and about um, like all the little things um, that come with training or um, for living in general. And so um, I'm trying to like warp my board back in the direction of being like a more balanced or like 
a little bit easier on myself and given respects because it'll get me closer to um, the virtue. Um, so that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I've been trying recently, like in my training to give myself more rest days. Um, I've been trying to, um, you know, like do things like more, um, like relaxed stretching instead of like always doing the burpees, you know, like, you know, like reversing course. So I guess that that's been like a more recent recognition of, of like where I am as an athlete and something that I've been trying to work on. And from an athletic perspective, um, you know, I've heard you talk about how you really, you know, you love the hundred K you want to, you know, really kind of dive into that, uh, in the future. Is that still something that you're excited about, um, going after or have things changed for you over the past few months? Oh, for sure. I, I really want to get back in a hundred K and just, uh, see what I could do there. I've only run one road 100k. And when I did it, I did nutrition not so well. And I kind of it was at the carbon x the original carbon x and I like launched off at like a really aggressive pace. And because it was framed as like a record attempt, um, I didn't give myself an out. <laughs> and then I just kind of like crashed like toward the end. So I want to run a more balanced, prudent, 100k and see what I can do there. Now, as a Hoka athlete, were you invited to Carbon X2? I mean, we just, I know we were messaging about it earlier this weekend. Like, were you invited to that endeavor? Yes, I was. Um, and I really, really wanted to do it. But um, I mean, we're in a pandemic and it didn't feel right um, to, I guess, endanger my family. So I still have an eight month old and um, she is the most precious thing to me. Um, and she doesn't have all of her shots yet and she's still a little baby. So just the idea of like traveling and, um, returning home to her or even like, I guess, even endangering my students by having that increased exposure didn't feel right. So I withdrew. Um, it was a, it was a hard decision, but I think it was the right one. Oh, that brings me to something that you wrote, um, as well, just about, about the, the, about envy and the idea of, you know, lifting other people up instead of, you know, tearing them down. So you're in a situation where you're watching that race, like so many of us this past weekend, and it was an incredible effort by all the athletes. What was it like for you as someone who wasn't just someone who was watching it, but you were part of the first one, you, you know, you were invited to this one. It's your, it's the distance that you want to run in a, in a situation. Um, all things, all things being equal, like where they're on the road, like so many of the things aligned with what you wanted. Obviously, as you just mentioned, it was not the perfect circumstances, um, comprehensively, but what was it like for you to watch that, but still have the feelings associated with your own athletic goals? Yeah, uh, honestly, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And I think it's because I had a couple months to like prepare my heart for, for what it was going to be. I was like, this, you're not going to like this, you know, um, but it actually was okay. And I mean, uh, I think like one important thing uh, that I've learned to do is like to celebrate other people's opportunities and to celebrate their successes because then you don't run out of things to celebrate. Like, so there are some times that I'm not going to get to be on the starting line. And I mean, I'm 34 now, like I won't always run professionally. Like 
there, you know, it's time to like invest in, in just celebrating other people's, um, yeah, other people's successes and get excited about them. So I genuinely was rooting for them. Um, and again, it's been like a work in progress to become, uh, an athlete who can take as much delight in other people's, you know, opportunities. But I honestly like felt great about it this, this weekend. Gosh, you are such an amazing person, Sabrina. Like all this is like just talking to you about this stuff. It really is um, amazing. It's the only word I can think of. All right. So we're going to get going. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a gold of mine to talk to you about all this stuff and so much more. I do want to end it with a tweet that you put out about a day ago, which was hysterical. I like, I kept looking at it. I was laughing every time I saw it. All right. You talked about bravery earlier. So I have to read this. Um, one time an eighth grader told me that I was quote, very brave for wearing my Sperry's with my casual dresses. I think about this all the time. I would wear different shoes. It's just that I'm very brave. I thought that was great. So you talked about, um, humor earlier and the philosophy of humor. Like that was, that was classic. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I know that you have, uh, you know, you mentioned before you have mitigating circumstances and, and everything with everything that's going on. Do you have anything on the race calendar at all? Uh, for as, at any point this year, or is it all just TBD? Um, I do. So I'm racing the big turtle. It's in the Sheltoe Trace in Kentucky. Um, and that's a 50 mile in April. Um, and after that point, I'll figure it out. I mean, I want to, I really, really want to do Mad City 100K. I'm not sure that's happening. Um, and a few like sky races this summer. So we'll see what happens. All right. Good luck, Sabrina. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Sabrina, thank you so much for coming on the show. Also, big shout out to our sponsors, the Sports Backers Marathon. Also, OS First. I love these guys. If you are in the Richmond region and you want to run a marathon, right around the corner, baby, six weeks. You got six weeks to do it. And you have that beautiful, beautiful way that they're doing things. Where you get that in-person experience, but also plenty of safety measures. They just do such a good job. These are the same people that put on the Richmond Marathon. And they just have done an absolutely fantastic job. OS first socks and compression sleeves and compression, all things compression. I love their stuff. I'm not the only one. They, Katra Corbett wears their stuff. And she's one of the best ultra marathoners out there. And if she can wear it for hours and hours and days and days, you know it works for that hour, hour and a half run that you're doing today or tomorrow or whatever. So go check them out as well. Thank you so much for listening, for rating, for reviewing, and most importantly, sharing the show. It means so much to me. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.